When punk and heavy metal fused to form the new genre of music thrash in the 1980s, Randy Burns was at the council engineering and producing many of the bands who embraced this new art form. At the time, critics considered it noise, but um, but over time it became a mainstream genre. His big break was a self-titled debut from Suicidal Tendencies. Uh, this effort uh, eventually captured the attention of Dave Mustaine of Megadeth, and uh, Randy produced their break, uh, breakthrough album, Peace Sells But Who's Buying, and then went on to work with many bands primarily in the genre thrash. A mutual friend told me about Randy years ago, and I've been looking forward to talk to him for quite some time. He took a break from the music business um, in the early 90s to raise his family, but is getting back into the game to help artists uh, achieve the classic sound he was instrumental in creating. Uh, Thanks to Dr. Mark Holland for sponsoring this episode and many others. If you're in need of chiropractic care, he has you covered with uh, St. Louis area locations in Wildwood, St. Charles, downtown St. Louis, Alton, Illinois, and North County. After a long night of headbanging, uh, an adjustment may be needed. Um, Dr. Holland uh, can help you out. Give him a call. Um, The phone number is located in the show notes on the show page on SoundCloud, as well as um, links in social media to uh, his various offices. You can follow me on social media for podcast updates and Let me know uh, how I may help you with um, any of your photographic or video needs. My website is kencalcaterra.com, and uh, that's a hub for links to the social media. Music is an important art form, and Randy digs into this when talking about the suicidal tendencies, uh, their debut album, the historical significance, uh, especially the song Institutionalized, which tells the story of a teenager who was uh, put into an institution as his parents you know, didn't fully understand him, didn't take the time to understand him. Uh, Randy talks about how this was common in the 80s, along with, uh, you know, in the 90s, medicating children to pacify them. Here's an excerpt from that song, and I'm honored to have finally met Randy and to bring this conversation to you. I was in my room, and I was just like staring at the wall, thinking about everything, then yeah, I was thinking about nothing. And then my mom came in, and I didn't even know she was there. Called my name and I didn't hear it. And she started screaming, Mike, Mike. And I go, What? What's the matter? She goes, What's the matter with you? I go, There's nothing wrong, Mom. She goes, Don't tell me that. You're on drugs. I go, No, Mom, I'm not on drugs. I'm okay. I'm just thinking, you know. Why don't you give me a Pepsi? She goes, No, you're on drugs. I go, Mom, I'm okay. I'm just thinking. She goes, No, you're not thinking. You're on drugs. No, no, people don't act that way. I go, Mom, just give me a Pepsi, please. All I want is a Pepsi. And she wouldn't give it to me. All I wanted was a Pepsi, just one Pepsi, and she wouldn't give it to me, just a Pepsi. Give me my shirt with my sleeves, got to back and see my sleeves, got me up, just crazy, it's just worth it, I'm crazy. I'm not crazy, here's the tushar, you're the one that's crazy, here's the tushar, you're trying to be crazy, here's the tushar. They stick me in an institution, said it was the only solution, you need a professor, I'm protecting from the enemy myself. Randy, it's great to talk to you. I've been uh, looking forward to this day for uh, many years since uh, since our mutual friend Randy Hunter had told me about you. How uh, how's life in Portland? You know, it's it's uh, it's just fine. Um, uh, the media reports of anarchy and chaos are are much exaggerated. It's, it's calm and peaceful and and nice here. <laughs> <laughs> that's good news that's good news and uh, when we talked a few days ago the uh 
the air has cleared up, so uh, you're breathing breathing nice, clean air again for the most part. It hasn't. Part. We're, we're, it hasn't. We got some rain, and, and it's pretty pretty normal Pacific Northwest down, so that's good. Fantastic. So you have a storied music career, and um, you're looking to get back into music after a little bit of a hiatus to raise your family. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the new venture, and then we'll go back in time and talk about your history. Uh, you'd state it you're looking to get into the mastering side of it. Are you looking forward to getting uh, back into it? Yeah, mixing um, and possibly mastering, but mostly doing mixing. Um yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. The uh, the way things work now, uh, you can do most everything on the computer, so um, you don't need a, a big studio to do some things, like, uh, for example, mixing. Uh, you still need a big studio to go in and record a drum kit and a band and, you know, do all that uh, kind of production. But uh, mixing is a big, important part of it, and that we can do on a computer now. So <clears throat> I've uh, soundproofed my garage and acoustically treated it, so it sounds pretty good in there. I got some good monitors and got it sounding good, and um, I'm starting to uh, do some, do some, um, some mixing. I did some work for... Um, uh, Tom Hazard and Dave Ellison. Uh, Dave Ellison's got a solo project outside of uh, Megadeth. He's the bass player for Megadeth. <clears throat> and I've got to mix uh, a couple of things for them Fantastic. recently. So, yeah, and I have a, a project that's going to be coming in any day now from a, a thrash band or a crossover band, sort of a punk crossover band called uh, M.O.D., They've been around for since the '80s, and um, in one form or another, and they're they're in the studio right now finishing up a new album. And I'm going to get to mix that. So, oh, that's fantastic! You got a few things going. Very yeah. cool. Over the years, um, so while you were raising your family, you were working in computers. Uh, during that time, did you keep up with with some of the old contacts in the music industry? You know, not not really. Um, uh, just a, a couple of people from way, way back, uh, when I left St. Louis and moved to California, uh, I ended up playing in club bands and, um, I play guitar and <clears throat> I kept in touch with, uh, with some of those folks. Um, one of those uh, people was Linda Schultz and Linda and I, um, became songwriting partners and um that's actually how i got into recording was recording demos uh that the two of us for the songs that the two of us had written um so i kept in touch with with linda and some of the people from the uh from the club bands and and if just just a couple of people one guy uh, in particular ron gowdy who was um um uh, producer and worked with uh, a number of independent labels. He was at Enigma Records for a long time. Signed a whole bunch of bands, you know, all, all different kinds from uh, Striper, Poison, Guar. I, I don't know if you know who these people oh, are. Oh, absolutely, but... yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. A, a huge fan of music, so yeah, and I, I enjoy the history of it. 
Yeah, anyway, there was, anyway, uh, various metal bands he signed, and we did a, uh, I did a lot of work for him over the years. So anyway, uh, we, we kept in touch, but, um, not a lot of people from, um, uh, from, from Hollywood when I was, when I was doing the big work. Um, although recently, uh, I've gotten back in contact with a number of those folks through Facebook, you know, we're, we're Facebook friends again and, you know, and, uh, communicate that way a little bit. Yeah, it's a great tool um, for that. I mean, that's how um, years ago uh, Randy had, had told me about you, and uh, so I've been following you on Facebook. And um, yeah, it's just a great tool. So at this point, it was like you know, at some point you were on, you've been on my list for a while, and uh, reached out on Facebook, and here we are talking. So it's a it's a great tool for reconnecting or just connecting for the first time. Besides, you know, all the other you know aspects of social media, which uh, you know we we won't even go down that road in this conversation. Right, right, right. Yeah, you don't want to use Facebook for news. That's, <laughs> that, 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 would be, that would be the main thing. Is like Absolute. Pay no attention to these, anything you see on Facebook. Absolutely not. Um, one company you worked with a lot back in the day, um, in my research I saw, uh, Frontier Records. Yeah, yeah, I did uh, the Suicidal Tendencies record. I did their first album for Lisa Fancher there. And uh, Lisa, Lisa Fancher uh, is the runs that company, owns that company, and she's she's uh, you know it's it's probably the longest running uh, punk rock label in the world. You know she's been there over like forty years, and uh, she's great. She's uh, has a lot of integrity and treats the bands really well, and treats is really honest, and and um, everybody likes working with her. You know, everybody comes away feeling good when they when you do a project with Lisa. So, um, so yeah, that was one of the the big records. So there's really like like three records that that set up my career. And the first one was um, uh, a compilation of punk bands called Hell Comes to Your House. And, That's a great title. Um, it is a really good record it has a bunch of great bands on it it has one of the first recordings of suicidal tendency i mean i'm sorry social distortion and a bunch of other uh bands that they call death rock now but um 45 grave christian death um um super heroines all of these bands were became pretty famous uh, and it in at the time that we did it, I would have described them as goth punk, but now it's called death rock. But anyway, it, it's punk rock. <laughs> and uh, uh, that album did really well, and that got the attention of Lisa Fancher. And she uh, she gave me the Suicidal Tendencies record when Suicidal Tendency was a hardcore punk band that was... Um, one of the bands that was started the transition from punk to thrash metal. So basically what happened is the, the metal guys and the punk guys hated each other in the early eighties. And then they decided that they had a lot more in common and, and the, they started, started to fuse and, um, <clears throat> suicidal tendencies in particular, when they came in the studio, they had three guys that looked like they were in, you know, some, um, uh, you know, we're, you know, we're Hispanic with, with, uh, with the headbands and, and really short hair and, and this really, you know, um, uh, particular look. 
And then another guy that had like long hair and a Marshall, he was, you know, from the metal guy. So they literally had three punks and a, and a metal guy in the band. That's a That's fusion. what it yeah. looked like. And, um, <clears throat> and that record did really well. It had a couple of hits on it. And, um, um, that record um, later is the one that got me the Megadeth deal. So the band Megadeth and the label, uh, I, I did a lot of records for um, Combat Records, which was a, a metal label out of New York. And um, I worked for a guy named uh, Steve Sinclair there. Steve Sinclair was also involved in Hell Comes to Your House, but he ended up in the music business too as a executive producer and record label guy and uh steve uh wanted me to do the megadeth record and megadeth agreed to it because i'd done uh the suicidal tendencies record and once they did the megadeth record then i then i had you know uh lots of business you know um and management company and i would just go to the management company and they would give me here's, you know, here's four bands that want you to produce them. Here are their demos. Pick one and we'll get you a deal. Oh, very <laughs> you know, cool. It was, uh, it was, uh, I was very much in demand at that point. And most of what, what you had recorded at that point, you were very much in demand in the thrash circle? Right, right, right. Megadeth wasn't the first one. I did a whole series of, um, of thrash metal stuff, including Nuclear Assault and um, um, a band called Dark Angel. That was an important record. And then early on, I did uh, a record for a band called Death and one called Possessed. So the Death and the Possessed record, um, those are the first two death metal albums. So um, I had quite a few of those things under my belt when I, when I got to... Um, um, Megadeth, but it, with, with Megadeth, again, they looked at my credentials and said, if he did suicidal tendencies, he's okay. Oh, right on. They weren't so interested in those other things. It was the suicidal sure. tendencies they thought was very cool because it had it was an important record. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and looking at your producer page on Facebook, I saw you have uh, your likes were 666. Is that, uh, is that by design with the, all the death metal background? Or is that just a coincidence? The the what? The <laughs> your, likes? Your likes, uh, currently your likes on your producer page, it was at 666, and I just thought that was kind of funny with the uh, death metal <laughs> background. <laughs> well, I don't know. No, uh, it's total coincidence, and uh, and it'll, it should change today. I get a few every day. So. Absolutely. But, yeah, it was kind of kind so of fun. Uh, so look- yeah. Um, well, speaking of that, the, none of the bands I produced even possessed, and their first album was called Seven Churches, and there were lots of upside-down crosses and stuff. They're, they were teenage guys and were really into chicks and beer yeah. and and death metal, you know. Absolutely, so yeah. That, they, they went with all that imagery because it was fun. They're, they're you know, they were... There, it, there's no seriousness about any of that. It's they're they're uh, like I said. What was important to them were was uh, was was metal, uh, guitars, chicks, and pot and beer. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It's pretty much the same thing. It, it's all uh, people. 
Yeah, and that's a lot of the misconception um, of you know heavy metal and rock and roll is that it is you know these stories, um, the concepts are, are something that a lot of times that oh the bands are are pushing this message and they believe in the you know Satan and things like that. You know, you know looking at Megadeth when we look at that second uh, album. That's when they really, their, you know, Mustaine's lyrics became, you know, real social issues. And he was making that statement right. on, hey, here's the world. And, you know, he had a view of a better world. And, you know, that's his social commentary uh, through his through his art form. But, yeah, I think uh, back in the 80s, it was just uh, with a lot of these church groups and, you know, some political, you know, pundits and whatnot. You know, they were pushing that, oh, these, you know, this is bad. When really, I, I think that statement is probably more important than ever with, with some of the things that we're currently dealing with. But, um, yeah, yeah. The, a big part of punk rock and part of the thrash metal is to be irreverent and rebellious and do the thing that's going to offend somebody. Um, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, Trump now gets a lot of credit for being politically incorrect and doing things that, that, you know, trigger the libs, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah. it's part of his thing. It's like he goes out of his way to say things and do things that, uh, that upset, uh, certain people. And that was the same thing with the, the, uh, the punks and the metal guys is, you know, they would they would do stuff to 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 get a rise, you know. Um, um, one time I was in a studio with some young guys, and and uh, they had uh, you know the f word in in their lyrics, and so they said, "Well, do we leave this in or do we take it out?" And I said, "Well, let me ask you a question: Would would this offend your mother if you played this and you left it in and you played it for your mom? Would she be offended?" And they said, yeah. And I said, there you go. You'll leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> that is, <laughs> Which that's punk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was, that was the whole point. You know, it's like, oh. it's, it's going to offend people. And, you know, it's going to be, uh, that was part of the thing. That that's part cool. Of the thing. That's cool. So when we go back to Suicidal Tendencies, that self-titled record in 1983. Yep. Now you were talking about, so the, you know, historic, the historical significance of, you know, the, the melding of punk um, and metal to thrash. And then you had talked about, yep. um, you know, Suicidal Tendencies was one of the first bands to, to really get that, like, mass um, on MTV to, to go to the mass market through Headbangers Ball. You know, talk about about them, you know, crossing that bridge. Yeah, well, um, they had some really, really good songs the, the one song in particular was called institutionalized uh and it really struck a chord with people it's a song about a kid who doesn't really have a, any problems but his parents stick him in an institution and this was this was a big deal in the 80s mm -hmm. in in california um people were insurance companies would pay for inpatient uh, psychiatric care for your teenage kids if they acted out and lots of people were doing that they were taking their kids and, and locking them up in, in these places where they would you know deal with them it was it was really crazy yeah that but, is insane um, well are you aware of that are you, do you know what I'm talking about you, this, you know this, I was pretty uh, pretty young at that point so I wasn't fully aware of 
right. of that. I, I mean, I know parents putting kids on a lot of medications just to, you know, keep them from being a bother and, uh, you know, things of right. that nature. That that may be more more 90s, right. but, you know, probably started in the 80s. But anyway, anyway, the, 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 the key lyric is the guy, his mom comes in and wants to know what's wrong with him. And he said, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Da, 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 da. But and, and he just wanted a Pepsi. And his mom wouldn't give him one and ended up, you know, they, uh, <laughs> they ended up uh, deciding that it's in his best interest for him to, to be institutionalized for a while because he's, you know, um, he's uh, acting out. So anyway, uh, it was uh, it it was um, a big record. Yeah, it got on regular rotation on Headbangers Ball, which was a big deal on MTV at the time. That's where they played all the metal. And so here we had this hardcore punk band with a metal guitar player uh, playing this kind of combination of you know bluesy rock with. A, punk rock mixed together and it would go back and forth between those two things and um yeah it just it it got a lot of rotation and it got a lot of hits and it was it was uh, an important record it was sort of a, a stake in the ground and then after that they were one of the first bands to do that a whole lot of bands started doing that this and they had this merger of punk and metal and that's where thrash came from that's what thrash metal really is it's just it's the punks and the metal guys getting together cool. and, and creating something new. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, a, a, a metal band and and you know they were they were more bad boys and and they didn't they didn't you know they didn't pose and they didn't look pretty and and um, they were more serious about the music and they had a and they had a and they had a message. They had you know they were socially conscious. Absolutely. So anyway. Very cool. And so then on that record, you um, you engineered that record. So at that point, were you on? Were yeah. you freelance or were you on staff at a, a studio? Um, well, actually, both. I was a staff engineer at a little studio in Santa Monica, um, and um, this woman owned it, and she had a little record label, and she had some punk bands on a record label. And so I was a staff engineer there, but that was a uh, gig where I, I was an independent engineer and I was the first engineer and, and got that gig with, with Lisa Fancher. So um, it's sort of both. I, I was the staff engineer and that's where I did the record, but it was a, it was an independent gig. It wasn't, you know, I got paid by the record company and not by the studio. Okay. Okay. And then in yeah, in, it was it was my first it was one, it was one of, one of my first big gigs. Oh, cool! And, and it and it turned out really well. So absolutely, yeah. I just li- listened to that. You know, I've never listened to that record front to beginning, and I did so before the interview just to get the vibe. <laughs> and yeah, it was cool. Yeah, a lot of fun, and that's yeah. you know, it's probably a little yeah, young a for that band. A lot of fun. I saw your mommy. It's, yeah, it, it, it's really clever stuff. Absolutely, it's very clever. Absolutely, and. and, and Uh, what did you learn uh engineering that record that helped propel you and helped you out when you became a producer and started getting those opportunities well i i don't know that i learned so much for that record it was just that um it was another punk record i you know that's how i got my start doing doing punk rock for friends and um uh, it was just another opportunity to work on, on that kind of music. And, you know, I was, um, 
I had worked at uh, a big studio. I had worked as a staff engineer, uh, as a, um, a second engineer or staff engineer at Music Grinder. And at Music Grinder, um, you know, they had all kinds of clients. They had television. They had, you know, we we did some really uh, pretty big stuff. Uh, I worked on a George Vinson record, and we had Toto in the studio uh, for a week. Oh, and, fantastic. Um, I also worked on um, a Jean-Luc Pony record, and so it was it was very professional, very high end, and 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 really the uh, the artists that were coming through there at an extremely high level, you know. So that's where I did. That's where I was learning how to record and learning about uh, learning techniques and stuff. A lot of the guys that came through there were um, from the from the British school. Uh, uh, the Abbey Road School. That's like a the way you used to become a recording engineer is you would be uh, an assistant, and you would probably start out like cleaning the studio and putting microphone cables away, and then eventually you'd work yourself up to where you would be in the studio and and plugging things in for people, and then running the tape machine and so forth. So um, the point of doing that job was that you got to sit next to the first engineer who would dribble little bits of, of wisdom out to you as you, as you worked. So, um, now, now everything's on YouTube and Mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can get trained by any professionals, but back then it was really, really hard to get into a situation where you had real people making a record and you could watch them and, and get there. But that's what I did at music grinder. Oh, very cool. Very cool, and, then, and, and and most of it, most of the most of it actually was self-taught. Again, I I I put together a studio with Linda in my parents' garage in Long Beach, and we started recording punk bands. Just no particular reason, except I had some friends and they had a punk band. They said, "Will you record my band?" I said, "Yeah," and that's how we got into it. Oh, very cool. Yeah, with myself with video, that was. You know, the early days, it was I had a friend who had a band and, okay, let's put a music video together and learn a bit, a little bit from that experience and then carry it over to the next one. And, you know, little documentaries about the music or an event and things like that. So, yeah, it's a great way to having projects is a great way to learn. Uh, nowadays, you can do a lot of tutorials, but I, I think it really sinks in when there's something you care about and you have that reason to complete it. Right, right. I... um. <clears throat> I was successful in the music business because I worked harder than anybody else I knew. I was, uh, I worked seven days a week. I worked two sessions sometimes, you know, and I work, uh, and, and I was just totally dedicated to whatever the client needed, you know, whatever they needed to get done, I would figure out how to do it. And, um, uh, I was really persistent and I worked really, really hard and, 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 and you keep doing that. And eventually then you get opportunities like a Megadeth record and, yeah. and then you're, you're, then you're, you know, you're sort of there. Very cool. Very cool. So, and also you're, um, you're a fan of many different genres of music. How, you know, having that love for different genres, how does that help you move forward and work? Uh, you know, bring different things to the table, bring an open mind to the, to the table when you're creating, say, a punk record, when, when punk's new or thrash is new. Um, how, how did, you know, that that help you out in, in that regard? 
Well, um, well, it, it's good that uh, in in the sense that you can come and listen to something new and try to figure out what these folks are up to and and appreciate it. Um, if you already have a fixed idea that that you know real metal sounds like X and a band comes in and they're doing Y, you know, um, that's not the best place to be coming from. So um, having a, you know, I I went to music school, studied classical music. Um, I played guitar professionally uh, for years. I played weddings and casuals, we called it. That's how I made a living while I was going to school. And we played all kinds of music. I mean, you know, you play weddings and you play old rock and roll and you play blues and you play pop songs and you play, you know, classics like uh, Girl from Empanema. So um, I, I, I had been exposed to a lot of different things. And, um, and um, yeah, I think it was, it was just a, I'm really fortunate that uh, I like a lot of different stuff. And it's not, you know, I can come in and listen to a band and and like it right away. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be. And I like a lot of different stuff. And I think that's really fortunate. I don't think everybody works like that. I think people come in and and, uh, and listen to especially some of the extreme stuff and go, wow, you know, this is like this is like noise. This is <laughs> this is not legitimate at all. These guys are out of their minds. And and. Um, uh, and people would, would say that stuff to me. Other engineers, when I first started doing this, before pre-Megadeth, right? You know, you know, doing these low-budget records for these death metal bands and stuff. And guys are going, "What? What are you doing? This stuff is insane." You know, <laughs> nobody's ever going to buy this record. What are you? What, what are you up to? And I'm like, "Hey, they're artists. They want to make a record. They want to do something different." You know, my job is to um make their uh their vision a reality figure out what it is that they want to do and and make that happen and you know um i was very happy with that i didn't you know i i wasn't crazy about all of those records you know i don't i don't sit around and listen to uh tons of extreme metal that's not what i do what are some of the bands who influenced you growing up and even now? Uh, who who do you typically listen to? What what's you know few selections there? Well, um, um, I have a, I'm I have again really broad taste. Uh, I'm really into uh, Americana and uh, acoustic music. Uh, I'm really uh, um, there's a particular artist named Sarah Jarose who I'm just crazy about it. I love everything she does. She plays um, mandolin and something called a uh, claw hammer banjo and uh, produces acoustic, um, basically acoustic music. Uh, and uh, it's, it's hard to put her into a category as sort of, you know, um, it's not it's not really rock, but it it's pretty pretty folky, pretty American, pretty roots American. But there's some stuff with drums and bass now, you know, that that sound more like a typical pop song. But um, um, and 
a lot of things in that genre, you know, uh, old Joni Mitchell, I'm really fond of. Um, and then there's, you know, and then I also listen to lots of new metal. Um, there's, there's a bunch of bands. I'm, I'm really fond of five finger death punch. And, uh, I'm particularly fond of the, uh, European synthetic, uh, symphonic, uh, metal bands like within temptation and, oh, yeah, and um, yeah, bands yeah, like that. They're that great. Are, Nightwish you know, is another one that just the melodic vocals. Nightwish. Oh, I love that. Right, right. The very melodic vocals and the clean vocals yeah. and the orchestral stuff, but it's still it's still real rocking, you know. It's yeah, sort of, yeah. Sort of like heart taken to the next level. Absolutely. Right? It's like a, a different a different place, but that yeah. same kind of you know melodic rock with with chick vocals i'm i'm really obsessed with with female vocalists yeah me as well that's uh it's one of my favorite genres i just love it you know the music is heavy and gets your heart pumping and then you know the melodic vocals kind of soothe you it's just that nice nice blend um i had a uh my when i was first starting out recording the demos with my songwriting partner linda uh, the stuff we recorded, we used to call, we used to describe it as Fleetwood Heart. So it was kind <laughs> of Fleetwood Mackey yeah. with the with the poppy poppy choruses and stuff like that, very uh, commercial. And then, uh-huh. but it had a, a a little bit of a heavier side to it, and and it rocked pretty hard. And so, yeah, we were we were influenced by Journey and. Uh, Heart, Zeppelin, and Pretenders, and uh, all kinds of, of of bands that were that were around then. So yeah, a lot of great uh, bands. But yeah, that was that would have been that would have been the core stuff. Is is um, female fronted rock bands from the late seventies and early eighties are probably my biggest influence. And and that leads me to to now being with with uh, within Temptation and those kinds of bands. Oh, very cool. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Uh, and Americana, I've, uh, my first podcast, the first one I recorded was with my friend Ben Wilson. He's in Nashville. He's an Americana guy. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to send you some links to his music. I think you would, you would dig what he and his wife Cassie are doing. They, they have a duet and they just play Americana and, you know, sell, they just do their own tours right. and they're just amazing. So I think you would probably, probably dig right. their work. Very right. cool. Yeah. Love some it. other, some other artists in that vein, um, there's, um, let's see, uh, Nikki Lane. I don't know if you know her. I do not. I'm going to look her up. You should check her out. She's really good. She's, she's out of Nashville. And um, let's see. Um, uh, I'm facing right now. Um, oh, that's okay. No worries. Know. No worries. I uh, also uh, can't, can't recall a name right off the bat. I, but, I know. Sometimes uh, it's sometimes it's tough. You know, off the cuff. Uh, I also I saw this Italian band. I, I saw the band uh, Typo Negative, and then this uh, band called Lacuna Coil. They were just starting out at that point, right. and uh, they opened for for them. I think this was. I don't know, 2003, 2004, and I just fell in love with that band. And they had dual vocals, uh, you know, mainly, you know, the female vocalist, and then uh, and then they had a guy, and they kind of blended that, and just really cool music as well. So, yeah, I enjoy a lot of that European, you know, power metal right. and, you know, fantasy so, elements. Yeah. Um, my younger son is um, obsessed with hip-hop, and over the past couple of years, he's introduced me to uh, modern hip hop, and I've learned 
learned a lot about that and and getting into that stuff. I like I like just straight pop stuff like Halsey and um, uh, who else? Uh, oh yeah, I mean I, I, I like everything. Oh, there's really so do. much. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way, and that's that's cool. I like a band called Volbeat. They're uh, they're kind of like. Um, like a little bit, you know, have a little bit of a rockabilly feel and, and really heavy. And they're, uh, what are they from? Norway or Scandinavia or something like that. They're a great band. Yeah, so many, so many great genres. In, in hip hop, uh, there's a guy named MC Yogi, who uh, who's a yoga guy, and his music has a lot of, um, like, uh, you know, uh, influences from from that culture in India and just really cool songs. So check out, I would check out some of his work. It's just, you know, the melding of, you know, international flair with hip-hop. It's really cool, really good stuff. Right. One of the things that I worked on recently, um, this is, I think, is an interesting thing. Dave Ellison, the bass player from Megadeth, um, uh, he did a song with uh, DMC, the vocalist from Run DMC. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, and they did a song together, and so the DMC raps on it, and they have, and then also the this other guy Tom Hazard is singing with Dave Ellison's band, and you know, but it features DMC, and it's like I've seen a lot of that. The the Dave Ellison in particular reaching out to pop artists and rap artists, and and of course. Pop now is is totally uh, it has a lot to do with hip hop. You know, there's there's hip hop mm-hmm. drums and bass lines, you know, and trap stuff in in most of the pop stuff. So if you listen to Halsey or Dua Lipa or um, um, those kind of artists, you know, they have you know, there's a lot of hip hop influence on the on the on the music. Yeah, very cool. And Elfson, Elfson is just so. amazing. Yeah, what a great bass player. I read an article, I think a couple of days ago, where he was, uh, you know, just talking about when he left the band, and then when he came back, and he was more of a hired gun, and just the less pressure that it that it had on him, and how he's able to get back into it and enjoy the music more. So that was that was pretty cool. He's. You know, I've always admired him. He's, you know, always had a level head, it seemed. It, uh, he seemed like somebody with a real deep soul. And, uh, yeah, I like what, I, what I've what i read about him. Um, <clears throat> uh, he, they're having a lot of fun, him and Tom Hazard. They just did a whole record of covers, and they covered um, um, Twisted Sister huh. and... and um, uh, everything from Twisted Sitter to, to uh, the Dead Kennedys to Billy Idol. Oh, fantastic! And, uh, yeah, they're just they're just having a great time. Oh, know? that's great. So yeah, that's that's the key uh, with music, and you know, enjoy it. I'm just kind of learning. You know, during this pandemic, I'm learning some instruments just to, to kind of enjoy it. I've always enjoyed music, and uh, I'm just enjoying the process. It's meditative, and uh, it just it's a good time just to be focused. Otherwise, I'm. I'm missing notes and things like that, so it's it's a good process for me. Um, are, are your kids musicians? Did you uh, did they grow up? Um, did you influence them in any way, or what's uh, how do they feel no. about it? All? <clears throat> no, my 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 both of my kids played some music. My uh, older son, you know, both of them played music and played in in like grade school 
in junior high music classes and picked up several different instruments like clarinet and trumpet and stuff. Uh, my younger son is very musical, and like I said, he's obsessed with hip-hop. He's producing uh, hip-hop beats, and we were going to get together and start doing some stuff together with, uh, uh, with the music, and, um, but he's moving in to Idaho to start a restaurant, so oh, right um, we'll pick up on that later. But Okay, um, very cool. Yeah, yeah, I was hoping he was going to to work with me and doing doing mixing, and yeah. then hopefully we could um, do some projects together yeah. where we brought some hip hop influence into the into the to the metal stuff. Which, like I said, the the hip the metal guys are reaching out to the to the hip hop guys, and again, it, you might not realize it right off the bat, but the thrash metal guys, the metal guys, the punk and the hip hop artists are all they're in a, in a certain way they they've got a lot in common all of those all of those genres were at one point underground and street you know that came from the street it came from a scene mm-hmm. it, it wasn't it wasn't a legitimate part of the music business and they it took them a long time to you know to get respect yeah <laughs> yeah and and to become commercially viable, and um, uh, uh, it, it's amazing those those they they just get along. Those people they all you know you 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 might not see it that way, but 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 the punks and the metal guys and the and the hip hop guys are all uh, um, coming from a similar place in 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 ways. And so. it was amazing, you know, a lot of those genres late 70s like to the mid 80s were really getting their start they hadn't uh, you know they were building that foundation and then from then on uh, you know that's when they really took off so it's, it's right when i did when i did the first album punk, uh, hell comes to your house which was a punk record it was a scene i mean that's when that's when punk was really happening and we were i was just totally lucky to be in the right place at the right time and get to record those bands when I did. And um, the same way with thrash metal. Thrash metal didn't exist in 1980. Thrash metal did, you know, it it came around in 84 or Mm -hmm. something like that. 83, 84 is when it it started really coming on. And um, I got to ride two waves. One was the hardcore punk thing, and the other one was um, uh, thrash metal. And both of them were scenes they were bands that went out created their own genre created their own fans created their own made their own records did everything diy and then eventually it 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 sort of exploded you know and then everybody caught on yes and i was just fortunate to be there for for that when i was doing the thrash metal stuff and the death metal stuff there it didn't it didn't exist before i'm i'm you know, I'm really, it's really crazy now. I listen to stuff now and they're doing the same stuff. They're doing the same double kicks and, and pedals on the guitar and all, you know, metal is like, that's, we invented all that stuff. We did it all for the first time back then. That is so cool. And, uh, um, yeah, we had no idea what we were, we, you know, we were making it up as we go, uh, as we went. It was, uh, it has to be a lot of fun. Um, 
you know, you're inventing a new genre. Um, or shaping yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with um, suicidal tendencies, you know, I definitely saw what was happening. Like, okay, this is a punk band, but they're playing better, and they've got a rock guitar player. They've got a metal guitar player. So these guys are doing something different. I mean, it was clear to me that it was something different. It wasn't clear to me that we were making a historic record. Mm-hmm. Uh, Megadeth, on the other hand, it was clear to me that that, that record was going to be huge. It's the only record where I went in, listened to the band for the first time, and went, this is going to be a hit record. It's the only time. And, and uh, I was right, but it's also the only time where I ever went in and just listened to them and went, oh my God, this mm-hmm. is the stuff. Yeah. This is going to go somewhere. Yeah. What's the pre-production pro- back in those days? What was that like for you? Just did you, The band came into the studio and played a, played a demo, played some songs. You went... Saw them play out. What what was that whole process like, and, and what is it like now? I mean, now you're you're doing more of the mixing, but yeah, just describe your your techniques. Well, um, you know, I didn't I didn't do uh, a lot of pre production. Um, I would just try to get familiar with the band. I would listen to their demos. I would go see them live. I would go to the rehearsals and just listen to try to figure out what they were doing. Um, I didn't, I didn't, um, my style of, of producing then in particular was very, uh, documentary. Um, Uh I was looking to record this band at this point in time and, and document something and, and have a record be, um, you know, sort of a, a snapshot in time of, of, what was what was what these guys were doing, and uh, that worked really well for that kind of music. You know, you don't want to go in and tell these guys what to do. That that I, I've always been um, um, of the opinion that the artist is the best expert on on what their sound should be and what you should do in the studio. They really they they know you just have to listen to them. And um, uh, and and go with their instincts, mm-hmm. and then just guide and, them, guide them through that, listen to them, and just help yeah. them achieve that vision. Right, right, and and of course, as a producer, your idea, your 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 sort of task is to make that thing that their vision make that palatable to to a larger group of folks make it, you know, translate so that a larger group of, of people can listen to it and go, oh, okay, I, I get what this is. Very cool. Yeah. Does I, that make any sense? Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I, I looked, I found uh, in my research, it was uh, from Decibel. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a website or a magazine, but again, uh, Jeff Treppel, uh, and he had stated that, um, you know, that album, Peace Cells, uh, exhibits a distinctive sound which set Megadeth apart from their contemporaries. Peace Cells was a leaner, nastier predator. Megadeth prepared to kill with speed and precision instead of size and power. And then according to him, the album influenced, you know, countless heavy metal bands uh, from Arch Enemy to Dragon Force, which, I mean, that band's insane how fast those guys play. 
And Mustaine was definitely a fast player. A lot of you know those early licks yeah. were were fast and and harsh. They were you know that was right. a cool well, sound. A lot of it was was Mustaine in his writing. He was he's a brilliant writer and super creative and had a vision. Uh, the other part of it was on um, that record in particular was the drummer Gar mm-hmm, and yeah. guitar player Chris Bolin. Oh yeah, yeah. Chris we're Bowen. both from the fusion scene in New York. Okay. So they brought a whole different uh, level of technique to it. You know, those were fusion guys who could play anything, and they saw an opportunity in the metal world to be able to, you know, play uh, to play a lot. You know, but. Um, um, Poland was listening to John McLaughlin and Alda Miola and all those people like that and and creating something new. And I don't know what Gar was listening to, but he could play anything. So they they they're the only it's the only band I know of where they had jazz fusion guys coming into a metal band. And uh, that set them apart. They did a whole bunch of different things, you know, with their rhythms and um, they go through a song and they would have two or three tempo changes and two or three, and they even change time signature here or there. Um, they were, um, yeah, they were really unique band. And it was, uh, uh, we, we knew it at the time when we were recording that record that, that this was really going to, going to be something. It was very, very exciting to be in the studio with them. Very cool. And then later on, you went on to record, uh, Chris Poland had a solo record in, uh, was it 1990? Uh, was it Return to, uh, like, Metal, like Metropolis? Metalopolis. Metalopolis, yeah. And so he, yeah. uh, you worked with him on that album? You produced that, or co-produced that album with him, is that correct? Right, right. And um, uh, the, the whole album is just him and his brother, his brother played drums and Chris played guitars and bass. And it was just me and Chris in the studio most of the time. And, um, it's one of the, it, it's not the best thing I've ever done. It's one of the best things I've ever done. It, it's just an amazing, amazing guitar record. Uh, by the way, that was re-released, uh, spring of this year, uh, uh coinciding with Chris Poland being, um, inducted into the metal hall of fame with uh, Steve Vai and Joe Satriani. Oh, very cool. So that's sort of been, that event is what got me um, the opportunity to try to try to, to get back into the business. So I had some visibility because of, because of the reissue of that album and, and Chris Poland uh, getting that. And, you know, we'd be getting a lot more attention if it wasn't for COVID because they'd be on tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, they're not on tour because of, uh, of COVID. And, and, but um, but I, 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 I'm sure that, that that'll get going again as soon as we, as soon as we get past this um, pandemic. Yeah, timing. Timing is everything. Um, yeah, right. and it seems like right now we're seeing – you know, just a lot of, especially I think during COVID, we're seeing more historical things, a lot of retrospectives um, with with social media. It's uh, okay. This is the 31st anniversary of this album. This is, you know, the 34th anniversary of this album. You know, being a part of of that scene and and creating 
a lot of these albums. When you see these retrospectives on the internet and whatnot, how, how do you feel about that? Well, it, it's it's great that people uh, that they're still popular. That they, you know, it makes me feel good that I made these records that are still people still talk about and uh, and pay attention to thirty years later or thirty four years later or whatever. Um, I mean, um, you know, I'm surprised often, but you know, uh, pleasantly that uh, yeah, those records those records count. So we we really did something, you know, we we did something. We were we were we had our moment there where we were, uh, you know, the birth of a new genre and the um, and it's it's lasted. You know, the stuff had some uh, some staying power. So, no, it feels good. It feels good. It also makes you feel old, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we did that album. Third, we, we just did. Uh, Peace Cells just had their uh, had an anniversary. I forget it was thirty four or thirty six. I think it was thirty four. Yeah, it was nineteen uh, nineteen eighty six. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was earlier, just a couple of weeks, just a week or so ago. Very cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so then, but then now, you're moving into the next step, getting you know re- revitalizing, you know, coming back with uh, you know the mixing and creating you know, this next wave of great albums, you know, what is, you know, what are your thoughts moving well, forward with that? What are you, what are well, you looking to the, accomplish? The, well, production is, works a little differently now. Lots of people have studios in their homes because again, you can do um, a lot of what was in the studio is virtualized in software now. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, basically the, the software that you work with is a virtual console and then all the outboard gear, the limiters and compressors, all the signal processing stuff that we used is all virtualized in, in plugins. So um, uh, we can recreate the sound of those classic uh, studios. Uh, Music Grinder was Neve Studer. It was a Neve console. It has a very special sound. I don't know if you've seen the... Have you seen the movie Sound City? Oh yeah, it's brilliant. Dave Grohl's a, a brilliant documentary director, you know, well as musician, right. of course. Well, well, the the whole movie is 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 the story around that board, that Neve console, yeah. and Music Grinder had one that was very similar, same vintage, not exactly the same, but a very very similar console. And that was part of the sound that we got on the Megadeth record and all of those records I did. I would track them and record the bass and drums in Music Grinder, then go to a little studio and overdub vocals and guitars, and then come back to Music Grinder to mix on that Neve console. And so um, getting reproducing that sound. So what I hope to do, people are recording in all different kinds of studios now, and and doing a lot of DIY stuff, um, and and what I hope to do is be able to take bands that aren't in a position to go to a big studio in Hollywood or Nashville or New York and record with the top guys, but they're able to get their stuff on, you know, get their stuff down, get it recorded, and uh, be able to mix their stuff and get them that um, that classic studio 
big console sound uh, to uh, on their you know from from their recordings. So basically, help help these bands that um, aren't in a position to, to to do it that way. I mean, the ideal situation is you go into the big studio, you go into the music grinder, and mm-hmm. you mix your stuff on a on a on a Neve console or an SSL console. And uh, but most people don't get to do that now. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you know, there's no dollars in the music. It's all in the touring and merchandising, and which is. Which is tough, tough for a lot of musicians nowadays, and right. it's kind of scary. Right. So anyway, I'm I'm hoping that there's a market for that. Um, Tom Hazard, the guy that's uh, the singer for Dave Ellison Band, is going to manage me, and hopefully, um, we're we're getting we're not we're, we're not quite there yet. I'm uh, I'm I'm collecting unemployment right now, and. Uh, I'm going to do that for just a little bit longer, and then and then we're going to have to to go full on to mm-hmm. try to try to get business and yeah. try to make money um, uh, mixing. Absolutely. But he says that there are there are a couple of guys, there are a number of guys like me that are doing it, um, guys from the same era, and that people really really want these, uh, uh, you know. Uh, sort of famous old school engineers like me to to work on their stuff. That it's a it's a highly prized thing. That's fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. That, I'm hoping that that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you and you you're coming full circle. You started you know your first studio in your parents' garage, and now you're you're building your new mixing studio in in your garage. Right. That's fantastic. Right. right. Right, it's mostly uh, basically like a a, a a gaming Windows machine with um, a few thousand dollars worth of software on it. I have one. Well, I have one really. Uh, I have one expensive piece of hardware, which is uh, a professional audio interface. It's like a. It's a several thousand dollar sound card, basically. Uh, rack mounted and uh, uh, other than that I've got professional monitors and and yeah it's all computer it's all software other cool. than that well that'd be a fun ride yeah yeah but you know what it's um, the the whole trick to the, the uh, and the point of mixing in the box the trick to it is to make it sound like you did it on a console mm-hmm. and um it was interesting. I, I I watched tutorial recently with the guy Chris Lord Algae doing this, and um, he did it first on his SSL console. Then he did it in the box, and then, and then so as he's going through and he's listening to his mix, you know, and he checking it, he checks it against his uh, his console mix. <laughs> so it kind of a b's yeah. them so you get okay yeah right so i mean the the whole point is to make to make the one on the computer sound like the uh-huh. one on the console and uh you know uh and he, and he doesn't he doesn't you know you you can't tell the two apart when he's done so that's that um because i've worked on those big consoles and and i did it that's how i did it I think I have an advantage over young guys who were never there. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's like you know, you know, if you like in the David Grohl movie with Neve console, you know, that thing is like its own instrument. So it's sort of building your own uh, version of that virtual instrument. How to how to do that and with software. 
Yeah, and, it was uh, so it's cool. Coming along. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting much better at it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the hang of it. I've been doing it pretty seriously now for a few. Uh, I've, I've had a system for several years, and I've been doing it on and off for several years. But um, uh, I've been doing it uh, pretty much full time now for four or five months, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting the hang of it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to move forward here. Jump back on that bike and put some miles some, on it. And there projects. you go. Yep. Cool. Good deal. Yep. Good deal. Um, yeah, it's fun. I love it. Um, yeah, that's all I had written down to cover. Is there anything uh, yep. you want to add to it? No, I would just I would just go back to one thing. You know, it's like looking at my whole career and everything is um, with the music business. You know, for me, it was a lot more. You know, I had. I did have aptitude to be an engineer. Um, I was really good in math and science. I was a good musician. I had the musical background, so I kind of, you know, coming at it from both sides there. Um, but it was more perspiration and and work mm-hmm. and hard work and persistence than anything else. You know, it's not like I was some genius that, you know, walked in the studio and magically knew what to do. I just worked at it really, really hard and refused to give up. And I think if you're looking for a career in the music industry, you need to forget about making money. You just need to go and do what you want to do and pursue it relentlessly. And eventually, you know, things will come your way if you, if you don't quit. That's fantastic advice. It's been a, yep. it's been a pleasure talking with you, Randy. I'm glad All to right. finally get to get to meet you. And uh, All right. thank you for your time. All right. Well, you know, we should we should also just just the, the little note of trivia that you actually grew up in the same exact house that I grew up in. Yeah, yeah. In Florida. Yeah. It was the same exact house which was next door to Randy Hunter. So Absolutely. So that's the <laughs> it was pretty that was pretty wild and and I had told you on the phone um that at one point one of my business partners was like hey we may have this project with uh Megadeth and blah 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 and I was like whoa you know the guy that produced their you know one of their great records in the early days he lived in the same house what what a story that would be that that project never came about <laughs> but still you know I'm still it's still exciting to talk yeah. with you and you know I've enjoyed your work and yeah, just All right. really appreciate it. Thank you much. All right. Thank you so much. Take All care. Right, Randy, bye-bye. bye-bye.